As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Another edition of the Racing Presidents podcast. We're four wide today. Todd Dibus back from Las Vegas. I'm sure stories aplenty. Got Tim Shovers in the house. Ryan Warmly going to make his yeah, Racing yeah, Presidents yeah. debut. And my name is is Tim Murray. So Matt Adams is back in the fold. And Todd, let's just start with you. We know what the Nats needed to accomplish this offseason. They go out, they get Patrick Corbin. That was the big haul, but they needed a left-handed bat and they go to a familiar face. Surprised at all that it is Matt Adams making his triumphant return to the nation's capital. You know, Murray, in high school, my basketball coach always screamed at us, take the layup. This is take the layup. Familiar face and a very effective bat off the bench. A guy they know will be quiet and professional in the clubhouse. Just made too much sense. It really would have been more surprising to us if Matt, had a, Matt Adams had gone elsewhere instead of returning to the Nationals. The deal makes sense both in terms of length and finances. The timing makes sense. Fit makes sense. It was as simple as can be, and they got it done quickly. 21 home runs last year, guys. 18 of them in D.C. Deep to right. And gone as Adams parks a three-run home run. Gets traded to St. Louis before the waiver trade deadline. I tend to agree with Todd. You know, sometimes it's just don't overthink things. There's there's a familiarity. He was great against righties last year. It's a need to come off the bench. He knows his role. You certainly can't assume health when it comes to Ryan Zimmerman. It checks all the boxes of don't overthink this. I know it's early. You know, sometimes you wait on these utility players, but you know what? This is a guy you know. He wants to be here. Just get it done. I'm surprised the market isn't bigger for a guy like Matt Adams, a left-handed power hitter who can not only play first base, he can be a DH if he signs with an AL team, and he can change the game in the seventh or eighth inning with one swing of the bat anytime he comes in. So to me, absolute no-brainer for the Nats. I think they stole him at one year, $4 million. And uh, I'm just surprised that an AL team who would have extra usage out of him didn't jump on him earlier. And with Bryce Harper, and you know, obviously not currently slated to come back just yet, Adams provides a real role in terms of just pure power. A lot of the Nats' best position players are more well-rounded bats, guys that can do a little bit of everything. And it's not to say nobody's going to get hit homers on the team, but Adams is a guy that you know he has pop in that bat, and that's a, a real value to a team like the Nats that doesn't have that elsewhere. So the next uh, on the checklist, aside from... What's Bryce Harper going to do? Todd, you were out in Vegas getting feelers on, you know, what the Nats are going to do. 
before going to Vegas, we all sat down, had a podcast, and said it seems like the Nationals are satisfied with the potential of a platoon of Wilmer Defoe and Howie Kendrick at second base. Has their tune changed a bit on that second base platoon situation? It feels like right now feelers are that they might be more into the market of, we want a full-time guy at second base. Yeah, I think it's shifted some. I think they're starting from this point of view. We have a baseline of Defoe Kendrick, right? And, and that is what it is for better or worse. And then we're going to go poking around and see what can happen in the market, see how the market's been set and take it from there. To me, like they're not in it for DJ LeMahieu, who you know could end up with a four-year deal and, and be in double figures at average annual value. And that's just too much for them. That's not what they want to do. They have Parker Keeboom in the wings, obviously. A swing and a drive back to left field, and that one's going to be out of here, too. And it's the second home run of the day for Carter Keeboom. And that level of investment at that spot at this point doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm wondering if they can get someone older like Jed Lowry at a better price point on a shorter contract on a, you know, a two year type of deal. So we'll see. I think they're just kind of poking around, see what they can figure out. But I also think what they end up doing to replace Tanner Roark will have influence on whether they're going to spend at second base. If they end up saving some money by bringing in a different starting pitcher, which we know they have to do, then maybe they can apply some of that money that they would have thought was going Roark's way, who is going to make approximately $10 million. If they bring in someone at seven and a half, then they can have a little bit that they can allot over to second base and kind of keep within all their spending lines. So we'll see. I think they're kind of going to slow play this out. There are still a lot of options out there. And frankly, none of them are really enticing. I do think Lowry would be the best fit if they could find a way to get him on a, a pretty simplistic two-year deal. But we'll see if that happens. Last few years, he's been quite good. Yeah, the name's still out there. Some of them have actually played here in D.C. Daniel Murphy as Drupal Cabrera. As Todd mentioned, Jed Lowry. Josh Harrison, who apparently the Nats have spoken to. Brandon Phillips, who once upon a time looked like he would be traded to the Nationals. So the guys that are gone, Ian Kinsler, Jonathan Scope, Daniel Descalso, former Nationals nemesis, whose name will never be burned out of my brain. To me, guys, as I looked at Tim and Ryan. We've got a lot of guys here. So I am okay with their current situation. And I know anticipating a prospect to come up is never the greatest plan. But when you've got a first round pick waiting in the wings and a guy that is playing second base in the Arizona Fall League and get him started in double A, I doubt he'll go out to Fresno, probably in Harrisburg to start the season at second base to get that glove shored up. I'm okay with not overspending, because I, I agree uh, with what Todd said. DJ LeMahieu, you know, if he's coming three, four years, that doesn't make sense. If you get a, an immediate guy, to me, I would have loved, and I've mentioned this before on the pod, Jonathan Scope. One year, $7.5 million. A young guy has had good seasons, very down last year. But for one, for 7.5, I'm surprised he signed as early as he did to go to Minnesota, quite honestly. But Howie Kendrick, Wilmer Defoe with Carter Keboom on the up, I'm okay with that. That does not bother me all that much. I agree. They should have been more in the scope market, a guy who has that much pop right. for a second baseman. And a great glove. But the thing with second base is, yes, there are top guys out there, but if you get past that first tier, there is kind of a big drop there, and that's one of that's a position you can figure out after opening day. That's not a shortstop or a third-base position. 
So I don't think that they need to overreach for LeMahieu. Start with the Kendrick Defoe platoon that you mentioned. Cabrera, you know, as Dribble Cabrera is, you know, he he worked a few years ago when he was here with the Nats. Yep. It seems like he's been on every single team Pretty since much. he was here in Washington. But I think if they want to start with Kendrick and Defoe, I'm fine with that. There's almost nobody out there that I would be unhappy with if they were to get for a one-year deal. There's no such thing as a bad one-year right. yeah, contract. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if you're getting a guy on a one-year deal and you're—I mean, look, one-year deals are going to be off the books. It's it's not the end of the world, I agree. But, yeah, it, to Todd's point, if it's, if it's DJ LeMayhew at three, four years, that just— that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially with Carter Keboom coming up. Or you just know something uh, about the future of Anthony Rendon— but that does leave a, lead us to what is now a, a massive question, and I know you guys reacted to it, Todd, you, Chelsea, and Jamal out in Vegas when the trade went down, but I'm curious to get Tim and Ryan your your thoughts on this Tanner Roark trade. You know, initially, Todd, you and I, prior to the trade happening, when there were just kind of rumors out there, were like, oh, this would be a terrible idea, but, you know, the more you peel back that onion, $10 million for a fourth starter, I understand where they're coming from. I guess the the certainty, the fact that he had been durable, we know his peaks of what they are, but certainly there might have been some bad blood there between the Nats and Tanner Roark moving forward. So, Todd, before we go back to you, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on the Roark deal because you bring in Tanner Rainey, my understanding, hard thrower, hasn't had success in the big leagues, has had decent success in AAA. I know Rizzo and, and a lot of GMs, they, they like hard throwers. We'll see what he could do out of the bullpen. Just it, it seemed like an odd deal knowing that Joe Ross still is not all the way back from Tommy John surgery. Eric Fetty hasn't really emerged as a quality starter in the big leagues and also deals with durability issues. So you had to feel something else is coming, and this $10 million isn't really, it's going to be allocated somewhere else. Well, first, let me say, Brandon Phillips was a Montreal Expo in the, in the system. You mentioned that's Brandon right, Phillips. That's so right. If that's he does he come, that'd be pretty cool for 2000. <laughs> Even though he turned down an opportunity to come back to Washington, but which was... 2019, that'd be pretty cool if that did, <laughs> if that symmetry did occur. In a vacuum, I hate hated the deal, the, the Roark trade. The return wasn't very good at all. Rainey's stats, frankly, were, were bad on a bad team. But I have to see what the next move is and what that move leads to, where that money is allocated. So I guess I give it an incomplete. Has no great point average. All courses incomplete. My first thoughts on where I hated it. Yeah, the cause for concern is not only is this already a rotation that is lacking in depth, but the top three guys that are going to be the bread and butter of your starting staff are a guy who is aging in Scherzer. Now, he's been very durable in the past, but eventually every starting pitcher's arm does fall off. And two guys that have had major injury problems in the past— Corbin feels like it might be more isolated. Strasburg obviously has had multiple injury concerns in the past. And no baseball team, even with the best of luck, goes through an entire season with just their top five. You're going to have to get down to your sixth, seventh, eighth best starting pitcher at some point during the regular season. And Roark, as you mentioned, is durable. He's reliable. You know at the very least that you're getting a base level of competency and Getting rid of that doesn't sit well with me. That said, as you mentioned, this is sort of an incomplete because I have to assume they have something else in the works or at least a plan that they're going to go forward with to replace him. You don't just get rid of a guy that slides in really nicely as your number four starter without actually 
thinking about who's going to replace him. Todd, was there more, in your opinion, more deep-seated rationale to this? You guys talked about it on your pod, your last one out in Vegas, how Tanner had spoken his mind. And I think most people understand the way that they've they moved him from rotation to bullpen to rotation, especially coming off a year where he had a sub-three ERA. Was this kind of just, a, they wanted to get rid of, even if Brandon Kinsler wasn't the guy, the narrative was they wanted to, to kind of clean up this clubhouse, so to speak. Was he one of the bad apples, quote-unquote? I certainly don't want to apply the phrase bad apples. Yeah, that, that might be a little I, I too do, much. I do think you're touching on something that's valid, though, in part of, to steal actually Chelsea's phrase, which I thought was spot on when we were talking about this, she used the term cleanse, and I, and I think we're seeing that partly in the clubhouse. However, I still don't understand why they did this, and I'll continue to lean out front, and I'm usually apprehensive to do this and would back you guys certainly by saying incomplete because we don't know what's coming next, right? But I don't understand that from the point of view of why are you creating, you're proactively creating a problem for yourself. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me from a front office standpoint, why you would do that. And especially when you look at the market that's hanging out there, it's not very good. And if you're trying to save money, then what you're doing is saving a few million dollars in order to roll the dice in a place where, A, you say this is the complete foundation of our team, you're constantly making this argument, and B, you have zero depth. So right now, the Nationals have three good pitchers and nothing else. And they have that because they chose to send Tanner Roar to Cincinnati instead of pay him approximately $10 million for one year. So it feels like this unnecessary big swing where they want three things to happen. They wanted to get something back for Roark before he left after his contract is up. They wanted to save a little bit of money. They probably think they can save a little bit of money and get a little bit of better performance while saving that money. And so obviously they top it off with this AAA kid who throws really hard, has control problems, and some other negatives when I was talking to some folks of just being dialed in, there's some work to be done there. So it seems like the dividend, I'm not sure what it would be and why you would yourself up and try to chase this um, unnecessarily. You forced yourself into this situation. No one else did it. Yeah, and we know that this organization is certainly not in rebuild mode. They they want to win now. So, yeah, that, that was to me the kind of the head scratcher. And, and, and once again, you know, Tanner Rainey, maybe they strike gold and he's the next great closer but what we've seen to this point that has not been the case in a small sample size in the big league so this wasn't one of those offers guys that came to the Nats and they said well we can't turn this down it's just too good we're getting we're replenishing they're getting a guy who in triple a last year was was solid you know 265 ERA 65 K's and, and 51 innings pitched but in eight appearances in the big leagues he was all over the place. Seven innings, 12 walks, seven strikeouts, 19 earned runs. I mean, borderline disaster when he was in the big league. So it is a bit head-scratching. I am, and and I will continue to always say this, a massive Mike Rizzo believer and, and fan of his and what he normally does. But right now I'm sitting back and saying, you know, you, you kind of overthought a little bit. You know, kind of what we were talking about, Matt Adams, don't overthink. Just sign him and get it done. I feel like you're overthinking this. This is a guy in Tanner Roark. Is he great? No, but he's your fourth starter right now at the signing of Corbin. He's a guy that has thrown 180 plus innings 
every season aside from the one where you put him into the bullpen post 2.85 ERA. So it just feels like if you want to win, having a fourth starter on Tanner Roark's a pretty good luxury to have, and, and I'm, I'm still a little confused at this point. So you're number one in the Rizzo fan club. I'm like, I'm still in the top 10, so <laughs> I, I follow you on that, and that's why I almost think maybe this wasn't his call because it just, from a baseball standpoint, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it makes a lot more sense from a dollars and cents standpoint, and sometimes those are two different people making oh, decisions. So. Definitely, definitely the case, but part of me thinks this is going to be allocated elsewhere, but also to Todd's point, it's not like this market is overwhelming with guys that they could rely on being that fourth starter. And $10 million is not that much for a decently reliable no. starter. That's the price of doing business in this era of baseball. You're not going to find a guy that you can throw out there for 28 starts in a season and know you're going to get a decent ERA and decent stats out of for much less than that. I mean, it's not like you're going to get somebody for one, two million. You're going to have to be spending close to 10 million, if not more, to get a guy like that. So it's even from the dollars and cents, I guess if they're reallocating it elsewhere, it makes a bit more sense. But from just purely in a vacuum, 10 million for a guy of Tanner Roark's ilk doesn't strike me as that uh, bad of a deal. So if we had to predict right now, Todd, what the Nats are going to do heading into spring with that fourth starter spot. There's just no way you can hand a spot to Ross and Fetty at this point. Having them fight it out or duel it out for for the number five spot, I was totally fine with because we've seen what Joe Ross has brought to the table when healthy. Is this going to be a situation, in your opinion, where they just bring in a handful of non-roster invitees like Jeremy Hellickson? Or do you think there's going to be a deal done to bring in a guy that is locked into that number four spot? I'm going to kind of say both (laughs) in that they're, they're going to pay somebody to kind of be the baseline here. And then we're going to see things like Henderson Alvarez on his minor league deal. They'll take a look at him in spring training. They'll probably bring in someone else to look at, maybe two other folks, which they should be doing, which again, I go back to why are you proactively creating a question mark for yourself? That doesn't make any sense to me on any level. When you look at who's available at the price point where you're trying to shave the money, that's not a great look out there either. You know who's right in the middle of this pack of available starting pitchers Gio when Gonzalez? ranked by war? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bring him on back! I mean, yeah, so Clay Buckholtz after somehow he pulled a season out of somewhere last year, Matt Harvey, I mean, and then Helix, you know, is in that mix too. So Again, I don't understand what you're doing here. As I said to one Nats official when I saw him after the trade, I, I simply said, what are you doing? And he said that the rainy kid throws 102 miles an hour. And I go, can he do that for 180 innings? And he just kind of smirked at me. So I don't know. I don't understand it. Like the utopian thing to me is they trade a small bundle of prospects for a year of Madison Bumgarner, and now he's your four starter. How's that sound? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Now, speaking of Montreal, you know who's still available? Bartolo Colon. You get him in. 46. 46. Not only an expo, but was in the major leagues when Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was still a major league stadium. I believe his career is older than Juan Soto. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, it is. He started his career in uh, April 4th, 1997. (laughs) Unbelievable. I I do want to say, just to play devil's advocate for a second on Rainey, There is something to be said, even in this era of it seems like every reliever that comes out of the back end of a bullpen is hitting upper 90s with a wicked slider. And it's just really hard to hit a baseball these days because of the pure arm talent that's in the majors. 
I think the number is only 36 pitchers last year reached triple digits. So that is a very elite attribute for him to have. And obviously, you've got to tap into that potential a bit more because we saw his stats in, again, very small sample size early on last season. But that is at least something that you can work with. This isn't a guy that's guaranteed to just be, oh, this was a salary dump. We're never getting anything back out of him. He could end up being something. They just have some work to do. So if he if he does work out, like you're saying, then the hope would be he throws 102 and he becomes your eighth inning shutdown guy. The nice thing is because they've addressed the bullpen already in the last couple of months, Bearclaw, Rosenthal, guys like that, obviously you have Doolittle healthy again. You don't need him to come in and be an eighth inning guy right away. You can sort of work him in. In mop-up duty, you can let him come in and get his feet wet a bit and at all while trying to tinker with it a bit and hopefully get him to be a bit more consistent on the mound. But there is, is at least something there to work with. you got a guy who has at least one very, very valuable skill. Well, we've got a pretty uh, loaded tweet that came in, and we'll, we'll do tweets from time to time on this podcast. You can always tweet Todd, who's our insider, at Todd underscore Dybus, D-Y-B-A-S. You can tweet me as well, at one Tim Murray. So we, we've addressed... Second base and fourth starter, which John O at Southwest DC, John O tweeted us. But uh, he said, any additional bullpen help coming and also other positions that Rizzo might have a surprise addition to. And, you know, that's one thing, guys, that that we know about Mike Rizzo is that he'll pull a rabbit out of his hat more often than not. So, Todd, I'll start with you. What do you, well, this is clear speculation, but rabbit out of Rizzo's hat, they usually come. What do you think that rabbit could be? They're so full right now, I don't know exactly where he would turn. If I was a Nationals fan, I would certainly hope that rabbit is a quality starting pitcher after what we were just talking about. I would say a crazy, interesting, but not completely stunning thing to me would be if they pay another really high-end reliever and slide him in there and really, really go for it in that sense. Barraclaw is very cheap. I don't think Rainey will be up to start the season. As one Cincinnati person describes him to me, 80 fastball, 80 slider, 20 makeup. <laughs> so Great. there's, there's uh, some work to be done there. I, I think Ryan's absolutely correct that there's talent there, and you have to figure out how to properly deploy it. But I also think there's a lot of work to be done there. If you're the Reds, Last year, that's one thing, but you're the Nationals now, and you don't really have a window to be playing around trying to figure that out at the major league level right away. So to me, maybe it's another high-end reliever, hopefully one who throws from the left side, I think would be beneficial to their bullpen. Tim and, and Ryan, when you look at this bullpen, I think the back end's pretty solid. You know, you got Sean Doolittle, Bearclaw, Trevor Rosenthal. We've addressed this as well, the Sammy Solis bringing him back, tendering him was, I think, head-scratching to some, a little surprised that they you know, they, they brought him back at that price. Would you guys like to see them go after this bullpen a little bit more? Yeah, because one of the names you just mentioned there up at the top was Kyle Bearclaw, and Bearclaw comes from the Marlins, and he had a lot of trouble last year. Now, there's a high upside with him, but that signing might not work out. And so... Uh, Rosenthal has had arm injury issues. Now, if he's healthy and, and all systems go, he would be as good of an eighth inning guy as there would be across the National League. But to Todd's point, I think that there is uh, some room to grow in the bullpen. The bullpen is more important in, in this current iteration of baseball than it ever has been before. So it certainly wouldn't be a bad thing for them to try and just continue building depth there. And, and if you can get 
a star or, or a guy that is just is somewhat reliable. There, there's always room for that, and that's always valuable. But the bullpen and, and relief pitchers is just such a volatile position year to year. I mean, Bearclaw before last season looked like a future closer, and right. they could have easily just been a blip. I mean, it's such a small sample size every season when guys are only throwing 50 innings compared to the starters throwing 180, 200 that it's just hard to tell who the guys that are going to be reliable year in and year out are. And so much of a quality bullpen is from the manager and, and knowing when to get guys up warming, what, what batters to bring them in to face. There's just a lot more that goes into it than what was this guy's stats last season. So I certainly wouldn't rule out. And I, like I said, I'd be fine to see them adding another guy because it's always good to have arms out there. And again, there's going to be a, attrition throughout the year. I wouldn't look at a guy like Barraclaw or even some of the guys who were returning from last year and say this is an area that they need to address because they had bad stats for just a season. And Todd, as we kind of wrap things up here, I am curious. You were one of the uh, many, and I mean many, that were uh, huddled around Scott Boris as he put on his show there in front of a a massive Christmas tree out in Las Vegas. And uh, he had a very interesting comment when it came to the learners and, and Mark Lerner and how he, you know, deals with, with his father, you know, oh, he kind of backhand, I'm paraphrasing, you know, I deal with his father. How is that going to go over? Because look, Anthony Rendon, he's, he's repped by Scott Boris. We make jokes and I think they have legitimacy to him that the Nats have been in the Boris business for a, for a long time. You know, more so the old man has been in the in the Boris business for for a long time. Is there any chance that this relationship, Mark and Scott Boris, could be a little fractured? Or am I looking too much into it when it comes to a possible extension for Anthony Rendon? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Real quick about Barraclaw before we move on. It's 808 OPS against him last year in save situation. 554 when he was not in a safe situation. He was much more effective when uh, not in a safe situation. As far as Boris and the learners, I think the learner family is a patriarchal setup anyway, the the way they ran things. So it it doesn't really surprise me. One of Boris's tactics is always to go, if there's someone above you, that's who he wants to talk to. If you're the GM, he wants to talk to the president of baseball operations, if that's a different person. If you're the president of baseball ops, he wants to talk to a minority owner. If you're a minority owner, he wants to talk to the main principal owner. And if, in this case, you're Mark Lerner, he wants to talk to your dad, who he's been dealing with and did a $210 million deal for Max Scherzer with. That was a deal that the Lerner family and Ted Lerner did with Scott Boris. So he's not going to waste any time in between. Even if you're a family member, he is going to go to the tippy tippy top and take it from there so that doesn't surprise me and we continue to talk about the rendon extension and i continue to believe it's very similar to the strasburg extension if you recall when strasburg signed his extension like rizzo used to flip the phrase player driven like i always say it takes two to make a deal and uh, and i think that when the pieces fit and the numbers are right you're going to make a deal and i think in in strass's case that fell into place and others it one one part or the other didn't feel comfortable and we're going to hear a sentiment like that, I think, when when or if Rendon signs an extension. I'm anticipating it's more of a when than an if. So I don't think a public poke like that is going to derail things. I mean, hopefully, and hopefully not, right? When you're talking about business, you need to be mature enough to leave something like that on the table and more so focus on your organization, uh, what's best for your organization. And certainly in their case, it would be extending Anthony Rendon, even if Scott Morris said something off the cuff. 
during his one of his million soliloquies in front of a 25-foot Christmas tree in Las Vegas. All right, as we wrap things up, we're less than a week away from Christmas. So the Christmas wish list for Nats fans will go around the room. And Mr. Shovers, the Christmas wish list for the Nats fan, what is on it? What are they what are they writing to Santa Claus? Well, I'll put the holiday list in terms of a 12-year-old Tim Shovers. That's the best way I can answer. It's better than the 32-year-old. Sure. So the 12-year-old Tim Shovers wants a brand-new Nintendo 64. Okay. Okay? So that's Bryce Harper. Yes. I want I want the 64. It comes with Super Mario. It comes with one controller. Mm. Yeah. But realistically, I'm getting another Super Nintendo game, right? So weaker system, and it's just one part of the console. So I think with that, from a Nat standpoint... I would say it's DJ LeMahieu, but again, I don't think that that's happening either. I'm not going to throw out a specific name, just a starting pitcher. Anybody <laughs> Any, that can, anyone who leaves, it, lives and breathes. If you can give the Nats 150 innings without your arm detaching from your body, I will be happy. Best Christmas present I ever got was an iPod Nano, and signing any reliable starting pitcher would be music to my ears. Yeah, it would be nice uh, for me. And I, I don't. It's not going to happen before Christmas, but man, it would be a beautiful present to unwrap a seven-year extension for Anthony Rendon. I, I've already gotten to the point where I know the Bryce Harper ship has sailed. I agree with Todd. I agree with a lot of folks who that cover this team that there are some similarities when it comes to uh, personality of Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg. They'll get to a point. He'll become a very, very rich man and uh, and, and just get to a comfort level and. The Nats, as I'm getting choked up here thinking about Anthony Rendon returning, the Nats would really, just to have that lifted off their shoulders, not to have to deal with this next offseason, to have that out of the way and say, you know what, we loved Bryce Harper, his time here, but that was too rich for our blood. We've got Anthony Rendon, we've got Patrick Corbin, we've got Steven Strasburg, etc. We're good to go. Are the only high-profile Boris clients who have prematurely signed an extension before free agency, uh, Weaver, in Strasburg, like it's such an unborous move. It is very. I, I all I remember is how just and Todd, I, you were there. How bummed he was at an extension at a at a press conference announcing an extension for a hundred and seventy five million dollars. It just kind of goes to show you the ego of this guy. Who what he could have maybe got his client thirty five more million dollars, hundred seventy five million dollars, and he looked like someone just kicked his cat. Yeah. He- it was an interesting press conference, and it, he has all the opt-outs in there, and the last year is of such high value that Strasburg's never going to opt-out. would be ludicrous to opt-out, you know, like barring back-to-back Cy Young wins or something extreme like that. So, yeah, he wasn't thrilled at all at that press conference. Everyone was taken by surprise. I suppose even Scott Morris was taken by surprise that that actually happened. All right. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of the Racing Presidents podcast. For Todd Dibus, Tim Shovers, Ryan Warmly. my name is Tim Murray. We will talk to you very shortly. This is the Racing Presidents podcast on NBC Sports 1.